0: Engaging Leader Podcast Episode 12, Creativeship, How to Create Sustainable Engagement and Results. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome, leaders. I'm excited to welcome to the Engaging Leader podcast Bob Kelleher, who is an award-winning speaker and author on employee engagement, workforce trends, and leadership. Bob's first book, Louder Than Words, 10 Practical Employee Engagement Steps That Drive Results, has been one of the world's best-selling employee engagement books since its release in 2010. And his second book just came out. In October, Creative Ship, a novel for evolving leaders. So, today we're going to be talking about Creative Ship and how to create sustainable engagement and results. Bob, welcome to the show.
1: Uh, thank you, Jesse. I'm delighted to be here today.
0: You, you ba- essentially coined the term Creative Ship. Where, where does that concept come from?
1: We are in this amazing window of changing demographics, globalization, social media, uh, Technological advances and leading companies today is is drastically changing. So I no longer think it is leading an organization to make money for today, uh, but it's really about creating a sustainable business model, one that can position your firm for greatness tomorrow as well.
0: Well, that's interesting, and I, I I think it's. Interesting how you've described the shift that you've seen from management to leadership to creativeship.
1: We were all about managing data, managing process, managing things. Uh, then, as we began to morph into more of a knowledge workforce, um, I believe you know the shift was underway, moving from you know managing data, managing things process to leading people but as I as I concluded over the past few years um, you know making money growing uh, a company uh, even having engaged employees are all outcomes and it's how the organization is set up for long-term sustainable success. Uh, Creativeship is built I believe on six Interdependent pillars. Um, and some of these pillars um, are more common um, than perhaps others, but pillar number one is purpose. I believe uh, the organization of tomorrow needs to define both their what it is we do and the why we do it. And this is particularly true with the millennials, which by 2014 will be the single largest workforce a demographic we're working side by side with you and me. If if an organization can't identify and articulate its purpose, it's why are they in business? And it has to be more than just making money. Uh, and you know, some terrific organizations, some Maque organizations that you and I both know, Starbucks, uh, Howard Schultz, does a terrific job of articulating both his what it is we do and why we do it. Uh, Other organizations, Zappos, uh, uh, Tony Shea does a terrific job of weaving purpose into his brand.
0: Those are some good uh, examples regarding Starbucks and Zappos. And I'm also thinking of some of the things that companies do along the way to reinforce their their purpose and how that's important to start at the top. I'm remembering a, a story that you've told in the past about Timberland Stores and how they provide paid time for employees to participate in company service projects, and yet uh, they had a, a new executive who questioned that and thought about when times got tough back in 1995, that maybe that was a, a place that they should cut costs for a while. What what happened in that story?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a terrific story. Um, and I got to know uh, Jeffrey Schwartz, um, Was the CEO at Timberland a fascinating man? Uh, And Timberland, um, every employee who works for Timberland, they have to spend a week uh, doing community service of some type. And they had a recently hired uh, chief financial officer who came in, and like most chief financial officers, you know, they look at uh, the bottom line and they see the cost of you know thousands of Timberland employees spending a week doing community service, and they quickly do the math and determine that we can save X, Y, Z, you know, zillions of dollars by getting rid of uh, the week of community service. And um, uh, Jeffrey, the CEO, said, I'll tell you what, um, why don't we have you spend your week doing community service first? And then, if you agree, we should get rid of this for all of our employees. We will consider it. <laughs> and the CF came back, uh, and after the week doing community service, uh, he said, "Now I understand what it means to be an employee at Timberland." And it, it, it they, they do a terrific job, Jesse, of of uh, their employment value proposition. So they understand who they are, um, and when they hire people, they make sure they're hiring people who understand uh, things like volunteerism and giving back. Uh, and it's no wonder that they voluntary turnover. Even in the uh, shopping malls that have Timberland stores, you know, part-time retail clerks, um, you know, their voluntary turnover is in the single digits, where it's not unusual for competing brands that have voluntary turnover over 100%. So, yeah, there is a cost to the business, but in reality, is there really a cost to the business when you see that type of um, a gain on your voluntary
0: turnover? It sure sounds more like an investment. Well, your your second pillar of creativeship is engagement, which you've been a spokesperson for for many years.
1: Yeah, um, the concept of engagement. Um, You know, I probably, like most people inside companies, focus a lot on satisfaction uh, very early in my career that, you know, let's satisfy our employees. Uh, And it goes back to the uh, John F. Kennedy line. Don't ask what your country can do for you. You know, what can you do for your country? And I believe a lot of organizations got into a trap of, of creating cultures in which it becomes an entitlement from the employees. How can we satisfy you, John Doe? And unless John Doe um, is a high-performing employee also aligned with the company, you know, when you focus so much on, on, on satisfaction, you run the risk of having satisfied but underperforming employees mm-hmm. or satisfied employees working collectively for an organization going bankrupt. And I think this mutual commitment where the employee and the employer are aligned and have common goals. So I define engagement, Jesse – as the employer helping the company or helping the employee meet its potential but the pro quo is the employee has to be helping the employer meet its potential in that commonality when done well, the byproduct of that of that mutual commitment is this thing called discretionary effort where you have your employees now working above and beyond in having it- been an internal practitioner, I can, you know, say firsthand, uh, it's magic. It's magic dust when you can somehow get your organization focused to engage the employees. It's a business driver,
0: and that is not just theory. That's that's based on empirical evidence that when you measure companies that have higher employee engagement. They produce better results. On the other hand, if you measure just employee satisfaction, there really is not a direct link with results. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, the, um, there's an entire industry out there now, Jesse, that will measure engagement and its impact on the bottom line, um, which is why this term employee engagement is you know, such a uh, uh, trend these days, because I think most organizations today Understand that uh, they didn't ten years ago. The focus was still very much on you know the satisfaction side, and I think every now and then we um, can get uh, caught up with the satisfaction uh, mantra. Uh, and I'm all for a satisfaction being an outcome, but I believe all of the messaging, the branding, uh, the reward and recognition programs, how you communicate. Uh, The performance management systems have to really be focused on engaging the employees and creating that line of sight with the business.
0: It's interesting. and One of the reasons why you came to my attention is that you've been one of the very first people to spot that connection. Uh, in fact, your your organization has the website employeeengagement.com, So you obviously were thinking about it before anybody else thought to grab that website. But that started as a as an internal practitioner. You you've been at at a couple of large firms, serving as the as the chief chief people officer. And it was probably a risk to make employee engagement such a a big objective at those two companies.
1: Yeah, uh, just a just a funny story, Jesse, on uh, why we all need to listen to Generation Y. Uh, it was my Generation Y daughter um, um, who, about ten years ago, uh, uh, suggested that you know Dad should have his own web page, and you know people inside my company, um, and it was a large global company, but they were calling me Mister Employee Engagement because I was so focused on this topic and I worked internal. And sure enough, you know, the domain name, employeeengagement.com, was just sitting out there. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I've been offered a lot of money to sell it these days. Um, But I, yeah, I uh, was fortunate. I had a board of directors who absolutely understood the connection that if you focus on engagement, that leads to extraordinary customer and client satisfaction. Uh, That if you want to have happy customers... You need engaged employees first. That is the sequence. And a lot of organizations are reluctant to say that. Um, And we understand, you know, clients and customers pay the bills. uh, But unless you can engage your employees um, and, and, and have them feel that they are your most important asset, um, I think you're going to struggle uh, with really capturing what I believe is such a competitive advantage. And having been an internal practitioner as the chief people officer, uh, it worked so well in the firms that I worked with um, that they even put me in, you know, the role of chief operations officer, which, as you know, Jesse, is unusual for the uh, people guy. Uh, but it just it just worked in our culture, and all of our employees saw that connection. That if we want to have Satisfied customers and clients. We needed to have engaged employees first.
0: Now, Bob, your first book dealt 100% on this topic of engagement. Uh, louder than than words, and and you cover ten uh, steps in that book. One of the concepts in there is is that leading a culture of engagement starts at the top. There's a story that you tell that's completely linked with your title of that book, Louder Than Words. Of the CEO at a company that you worked for, when you guys were on a uh, traveling together and were checking into a hotel,
1: the uh, CEO um, Bob Weber, who was a terrific uh, CEO, met the definition of Jim Collins' level five leaders. Uh, very selfless, um, a very understated, uh, a man of uh, great integrity, intelligence. Uh, and empathy for the employees. We were checking into a hotel and uh, as was apt to be when we were uh, visiting a location um, for a, a management meeting, we would often bring a junior level high potential employee to join the leadership team. Uh, and in this case, we brought a relatively junior-level woman with us, and as we were checking into the hotel, they offered uh, the CEO a suite, and uh, he uh, quickly uh, mentioned to the hotel uh, desk clerk that he was not interested in having the suite. And he turned to me and he and he asked, um, "You know, who's the lowest-level person traveling with us?" And it was this woman named Cynthia. And and he turned and said, "I give um, I give Cynthia the suite." And when she um, two days later, she goes to check out, and, and the hotel clerk said, uh, "Hey, did you enjoy your stay?" And, 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 and of course, she was ecstatic, and she had this big suite, and thanked the hotel. And the hotel said, "She don't don't thank us. Um, you know, thank your thank your CEO. He was one that um, gave you the upgrade." And she uh, came by my office a uh, few days later. Uh, she worked at our corporate headquarters with us, and she swung in, and, and she asked why Bob gave her a suite. And I described Bob's philosophy on, you know, leadership and and he he very much felt that he worked for the employees. And um, a month went by and I was in Chicago and a a junior level employee came up to me, kind of tells you the power of branding. Uh, uh, He comes up and says, hey, I I heard that story. Did did Bob Weber really give Cynthia his hotel suite? And it just you know kind of reinforces the type of culture that can happen when when that leader um, you know establishes that type of you know personal behavior at the top.
0: Well, you can't buy that kind of a uh, impact from that story, and you really can't fake it. It's it's it, it comes from a, a real understanding that engaging employees is first, and then serving customers. And I think a lot of leaders miss that because maybe because of the confusion between employee satisfaction and employee engagement. And if you, if you try to, if if you're focused on just satisfying employees, you're you're really probably not going to, you're going to create more of that entitlement mentality and not create a a truly engaged culture. But if you're, if you're really thinking about engaging people, uh, developing people, then that kind of out, uh, that kind of story is going to happen naturally, I guess, and and then it, it just demonstrates that you are starting at the top with engagement, and and, and that's where it all begins.
1: We ultimately acquired uh, Jesse by a firm that today is a Fortune 400 firm, um, and they had policies that let the executives, uh, you know, travel at so many hours up in the sky. You could upgrade to first class. Uh, none of us in the leadership team who who qualified for that policy would ever fly first class because we all felt that you know there's a chance some of our employees might be in the airplane uh, and we don't want them walking by seeing us sitting in first class and they're sitting in row forty five you know C. Um, it, it just was who we were and we never decided to do that. Uh, but we you know the first year being under the parent. Um, someone brought it up and it was behavior that we just all modeled without having it as part of our plan. Uh, it was really fascinating when you have it as part of your culture, how it just penetrates all members of the leadership team.
0: Wow, that, that is a, a very keen understanding of the power of unlocking employee potential. Now, your third pillar of creativeship is performance. Can you talk to us about that?
1: You know, there's irony here as the engagement guy to uh, talk a lot about performance management. But um, at a micro level, I think it is really important for companies to reward high performance. Uh, At the individual level, uh, your superstars have to feel very, very special. And you have to act on poor performers. Um, You know, the the first hiccup that happens in an economic downturn often results in a downsizing with many companies. And I often say that first downsizing, especially after a healthy economic window, is actually a very good thing for engagement levels. Because when you're really busy, you tend to tolerate some some level of underperformance with your employees. And your high-performing employees uh, can become disengaged if they see a level of performance that is under company standards being tolerated. So, I've actually seen proof of this that when there is a company wide layoff uh, following a boom period, company engagement scores go up. Now, you want to make sure your underperformers are taken care of. You know, I always joke with clients treat anyone who's being downsized as if you are downsizing your mom because everyone's <laughs> watching how you downsize people and even underperformers, people all uh, can relate and they want people to be taken care of during during a downsizing. But you will see your engagement scores go up, not down when you take care of underperformers. Uh, the second thing on a macro level, I understand companies need to perform. You're You know, if you don't win as an organization, I don't believe you can maintain your engagement levels. So companies that achieve, that have a sustained window of performance will also, by default, have a sustained level of engagement. You know, think of the metaphor, Jesse, with sports teams. Uh, I don't care who your coach is, who your quarterback might be in a pro football team. If you are 2 and 14, you have morale issues in a locker room, that there has to be some level of high performance. Now, in my book, Creativeship, one of the fictitious characters, because the book is written as a fable, um, is a pro football coach. Uh, who I loosely modeled after Bill Belichick, the head football coach of the New England Patriots, who I believe does an amazing job of creating a sustained high level of performance that is rich with accountability and rich with achievement. So how do you create that same culture of performance at the micro level where you don't tolerate poor performance And at a macro level, you have a tenacious focus on sustaining a high level of performance.
0: I like how you put it. Employees want to work for a winner in your book. And you you see that on any kind of team. People are just more naturally engaged when they're high performing. Uh, So I can see why that that has to be a a pillar of what you stand for, that there has to be a, a clear line of sight to results. And I, I remember you also telling a story of uh, when you had to coach a manager of a, of a large business unit that was actually had pretty mediocre results, and that, that manager was actually uh, afraid to share, be very transparent about those results because he thought it would be demotivating to the team.
1: We used to plot all the businesses inside a full quadrant with with one of the axes being uh, growth and one of the axes being profit. Uh, and they were average. I mean, they were right in the crosshairs of average. Um, and uh, he didn't want to let his employees know that their business was average. He actually felt that would be disengaging to the workforce. Um, and that's when I you know, said, well, this, this isn't T-ball. I mean, employees want to win. They want to achieve. I guarantee you, they don't want to be considered average. Uh, and these were engineers and scientists. People, by default, are high-achieving individuals. And you're right. Once they understood the metrics, I mean, they, they dove right in. And and over a window of time, they moved their business collectively to that upper right quadrant.
0: Wow. Now, your fourth pillar of creativeship is innovation, Talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan um, of Clayton Christensen. Clayton Christensen's the iconic innovation guru. works out a works at, a, uh, works at a Harvard Business School. Um, his first book is uh, probably the best selling innovation book of all times, uh, which was the Innovator's Dilemma, uh, written in the 1990s. Uh, his follow up book, The Innovator's DNA. Uh, uh as good and he talks about disruptive innovation um, i knew the founder of monster.com uh, jeff taylor um, i i almost joined monster in 1994 uh and i thought jeff i thought jeff was um, um was having a nervous breakdown he came in with his laptop computers with all monsters all over his screen and <laughs> he was talking about this thing called World Wide web it was going to change how we advertise and i thought he was um a little bit crazy and and well he brought that same idea into the boston globe the chicago tribune the new york times well why didn't these mature businesses see this disruptive force underway to a certain degree um you know you can fast forward to today and the monsters of the world are now looking at the linkedins and trying to compete against the disruptor in their world so when i work with clients how are they looking at the potential disruptors? In the way you can stay ahead is you have to continue to innovate your product or service.
0: And unfortunately, a lot of companies assume that innovation is solely the responsibility of R and D. That let's let those that's the, those are the people that are supposed to be innovative. The rest of us just need to put our heads down and keep doing the same old, same old.
1: Yeah, Jen. Jesse, that's a great. Um, yeah, that's a great question, uh, and I'm I'm often asked by that when I speak to audiences. Uh, they'll either ask, "Well, I'm not an R and D person," or they'll say, "You know, my company we're not a technology company, so you know we're not really in the business um, of technological innovation." Uh, well, the research is overwhelming that any business, any administrative function can innovate. It's looking at a process. In doing it more efficiently, doing it more effectively.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and if the whole company isn't being innovative in, in all the different functions, including administrative, then you're you're basically creating a culture that even if your R and D department comes up with great stuff, it that stuff's probably going to get get shot down and not at some point and not be successful. I mean, you know, you think of the companies that had come up with ideas like MP3 players or even Sony that that could have beat Apple with uh, with Apple's iTunes but they just the, the the company as a whole wouldn't support that kind of innovation but if you've got everybody constantly looking for new things better ways to do things then when the the truly great ideas come along they're more likely to see the light of day
1: that's a good point Jesse
0: your uh your fifth point is a term that I'm not sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with. Try branding. What, what does that mean? Uh,
1: when I uh, had a BlackBerry personal device, uh, I finally was able to move to an Android device. Uh, and this was about four, four years ago. And I was struck by every time I would take my Android smartphone out to break or demonstrate my new app, Someone around the table or the room, or you know, even family, would take out their iPhone, and and, and it dawned on me that uh, Apple has done this amazing job of creating these brand ambassadors, uh, people that can't wait to trump your product <laughs> preference or, or service preference. And as I as I started thought about Apple, I started thinking that, you know, this this third dimension of branding in which you get your customers and other key stakeholders to brand your product or service, you know, BMW has it, Southwest Airlines has it, um, uh, TJX HomeGoods, um, Harley-Davidson, uh, Nordstroms. that there is a model out there that some companies have figured out that they can get their customers to become brand ambassadors for them in this try branding aspect it's the link from your employment brand to your product or service brand and that third dimension of getting your customers and your clients to brand on your behalf it's magic and with the with the emergence of social media social media is your brand ambassador so how can you leverage this in a way that you now have this much larger universe branding your product and service?
0: Well, that's interesting. I've, I've heard you define, just first of all, the generic term brand as a collection of perceptions in the mind of the consumer. And, and then you take it a, a step further and you say, but, but beyond that, there's an emotional resonance of those perceptions. So, if I if I repeat back to you what you mean by try brand, there's there's first of all the sort of the employee side. What's how does the employee what 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 res resonates with the employee uh, in terms of uh, the perceptions about you as a as a company? And secondly, what resonates to the marketplace? Uh, for example, if you have an ad, maybe how how does that come across to the customer? And then third basically the social network of the customer's employees when when they're going and telling a third party that are somehow representing you, whether that's just simply pulling out their iPhones and and searching for an app that trumps your Android app from that great story. That's sort of the third aspect of the brand that maybe you can't directly control, but it's a a downstream process, I suppose.
1: So take take Southwest Airlines. Uh, They are a fun airline. Um, That's part of their DNA. They hire people. They specifically hire people that are fun types of employees. If you're not a fun employee, you're probably not going to fit in their culture. So we as the passenger, we now experience that fun uh, culture that defies their employer brand. Now it's part of the customer brand. Now I fly Southwest quite a bit. And I, I, at least once a month, I have this cool Southwest story that I'm now explicitly on my own, free promotion. I am telling people about what just happened in Southwest Airlines. That's kind of the story behind Try Branding. And with the continued emergence of social media as this amazing communication and branding uh, resource I think companies that get this, that really understand it, are doing all they can to leverage it because you know it's going to help with applicants and finding new customers and finding new uh, partners and and to me it's um, it it is the wave of the future.
0: Now branding is a very deep topic, but it start if if there's a listener who's hearing this and saying yeah, but Southwest had so many things going for it, and where do we begin? Uh, Branding at its sort of initial simple step is simply creating the right first impression. And and sometimes that just gets down to real basic things like how you talk about things and what kind of graphic look you give something. I'm thinking of the story that you've told about launching your first corporate university.
1: So we did uh, a company-wide engagement survey. And it came back that our employees wanted more learning opportunities, uh, more training and development. Not surprising, uh, most surveys will see that as a top five need. Well, we were dealing with some budgetary challenges at the time. So, what we did was uh, we were able to hire a training manager. In fact, I've, I've recently hired that training manager. Uh, uh, to work with my firm now because he's just brilliant. Uh, and, and his conclusion was there is a lot of training that takes place organizationally. There's all sorts of learning. We're just not collecting it and telling our employees all the training that is taking place. So his first 18 months was really collecting uh, all of the learning that was taking place organizationally and then reporting back to the company, this is what is is actually happening. And we had a follow-up engagement survey. And our leadership team, we were stunned. Uh, learning when f- uh, had the biggest um, change in score. Uh, so just by capturing the learning that was taking place and telling our employees, we changed the perception internal that, wow, we were truly a learning organization. And, you know, we created a logo, Corporate University, and we just captured all of the things that were taking place and put it under the umbrella of this corporate university without adding new courses, without adding new curriculum. Um, it, it, was, it was remarkable to me, and it, and it showed yet again the importance of branding internal.
0: Now, your sixth and final pillar for creativeship is global growth.
1: You know, there used to be a point in time, Jesse, that if you wanted to grow your company, you needed to expand, you know, geographically or maybe new products or new services. And I think, you know, the term globalization was uh, much more focused on uh, market expansion. Um, I believe globalization in the future is going to be about winning the war for talent. If you study the world's workforce demographic shifts, it becomes apparent that India, China, Brazil, they're not going away. They have these um, significant talent pools. And the Western nations, as the boomers begin to move into the twilight, we're seeing it today, Generation X, is known as the baby buster generation, a very small generation in pure volume. We're waiting for Generation Y to come along in in more senior uh, positions, which we're seeing that today. But you're seeing a shift in the world's workforce. And unless organizations are thinking about these shifts, I think they're going to miss out on terrific talent. And if you think of the recession, the recession has put a filter over our lens. You know, we believe it's easy to find talent. Uh, While in 2005, it wasn't easy to find talent. And in fact, companies weren't growing because they could not find the talent to grow, especially in Western nations. Well, we're going to see that window again. And when we do, the companies that are focused on global growth, I believe, will have an advantage.
0: That's fascinating. Well, the six pillars of creativeship, purpose, engagement, performance, innovation, tribe branding, and global growth. We have just touched on those briefly today, but uh, leaders can get the, the full story in your book, Creativeship, a novel for evolving leaders. Where can folks find that book, Bob?
1: They can find it on Amazon.com. They can find it uh, on CreativeShip.com. There's a video. They give some background. Uh, they can find it uh, on BarnesandNoble.com.
0: So the book approaches the content in ways that are helpful both for people that would learn better from a, a story format, as well as when those that just kind of want to have sort of the nuts and bolts presented to them.
1: Yeah, we recently had a CEO who contacted us. Uh, um, and it was a great way of using the book. Uh, he read it first and he was smitten with it uh, and he had an offsite and it had his entire leadership team read it and he- and he said it just raised so many questions for us as a leadership team that we needed to address. Um, And he also said, you know, unlike um, some of the readings that he'll ask his leadership team to do, uh, they all came back and said, wow, you know, that was a terrific read. You know, uh, one even said he was going to have his wife read it, uh, who was a school teacher. So, uh, I thought that was pretty cool.
0: That is a great endorsement since a lot of business books tend to be very dry to have people come back and actually tell you that this was not only good content, but it was a great read. Well, Bob Kelleher, thank you for joining us today on the Engaging Leader podcast.
1: Uh, I've been honored to be part, and uh, thank you so much, Jesse, for reaching out to me.
0: All right, leaders. If you're interested in learning more about the differences in generations, let me encourage you to check out our next episode, 13, which is going to be Socially Smart, Things Gen Y Needs to Know That Schools Aren't Teaching, an interview with Jen Swanson, who is known as the communication diva. And as we wrap up today's show, I just want to say thank you to all our listeners for your support. Uh, A big reason why we have been featured near the top of different uh, lists, such as the new and notable directory in iTunes, is because of all the listeners we've had, and especially those that have provided reviews on iTunes. Thank you very much to all of you who have done so recently, and I do want to say a special thanks to James Woosley from woosleycoaching.com for your very kind review. And for our other listeners, if you like our show, please consider rating us on iTunes. That makes a huge difference in helping more people discover it. Go to engagingleader.com slash iTunes. We would love to know your thoughts about this episode. You can leave comments on our show notes at engagingleader.com or connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter where I am at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Arthur Hankey, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Steele, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.